Sitting in a bathroom stall in Louie's restaurant, wondering what's taped to the back of the flush box, it's the IGN Digigods. Now please welcome two men who will make you an offer you can't refuse, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. Godfather references are always in style. Corey, who godfathered us? That was written by Nicholas Gordon, who likes to watch men sitting in bathroom stalls. Absolutely. Well done, Nicholas. Thank you. Uh, Mark, the reason I put this giant pile of television in front of uh, your <laughs> face, face is so I can't that, even see you. That's right. I can't. I, I don't want because I don't want to see you. It's Aww. a it's a good excuse this week. I can I can talk to DVD piles. Oh, anyway, uh, so yeah, uh, we need to we need to get hauling here. We got we got some listener mail, and we've got uh, a giveaway. <gasps> And we've got a ton of stuff to talk about. But first, why don't you tell me, who has not seen Godzilla, why I should? Because, you know what? It's awesome. And you know what I like about Godzilla? And what? I do like this film, not unreservedly, but moderately unreservedly, mm-hmm. is that it, unlike a lot of these other films, it takes its time, right? Yeah. And when it finally delivers, it is Godzilla goodness. Yeah. Okay. It is exciting. And I love the, I love the new Godzilla I love the big fight scenes, but at the same time, is it as good as Pacific Rim? Because I like Pacific Rim. I got to be honest. I'm one of the. I'm one of those people who's like, why did this movie fail? Pacific Rim is the thing with Pacific Rim is that the reason why Pacific Rim works is because it is so unbelievably cacophonously, unapologetically <laughs> loud that you just have no choice but to give yourself over to it. It's it, true. It, it just hypnotizes you with noise to it love does. it. Here. You get a decent amount of human drama, right? Yeah. And Gareth Edwards, the director, who directed a low-budget film that I liked a lot called Monsters, uh, he gives this thing a, a, a style that a, a typical you know, American or, or tentpole director would not have done. Yeah. And I like that about it. And uh, I thought that the, uh, the, that the Godzilla fight teams were just badass. When they have their, like, you know, smackdown at the end, mm-hmm. I mean, you are moving in your seat. With each little, with each little Godzilla punch, so I think it, I thought it was terrific. I liked it a lot. Wow! And uh, the Blu-ray looks amazing. The special features, um, you know, I mean, the special features are fine. I kind of wish there would have been more special features. Oh, I wonder if they're going to see how this does, and then maybe come up with a um, special edition. Um, there's a couple of um, you know um, documentary type things on it. Uh, I, I have to say though. Um, I didn't really super duper love the um, the extras, but that's okay because the most important part is that the movie is great and the effects are great and Godzilla is great and uh, I think that Gareth Edwards has a huge career for himself um, and so I'm really happy for him. The only thing I will say, Aaron Taylor Johnson, not great. That guy is nothing. He's a charisma hole. That's the only. You know, I, that's the only uh, thing. The only super knock I can give on this movie, because, you know, Ken Watanabe's terrific, and Elizabeth Olsen's great, Julia Panache is Julia Panache, you know what I mean, Sally I Hawkins? Like, I like him, but, man, he just, he's got to have the right part and, 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 and the right director. I, he's an, it's like he's that, he's that actor who, I'll see him in something, and I'll go, you know, he's got promise, then I'll see him in the next film, and I'll think... How did you? How did you bonk that so badly? I know. I, it, no. Yeah. Well, in that, in that case, you will be completely unimpressed with him in Godzilla. He is by far the weak link. Well, I, and, and, and in fairness too, even though he is kick-ass, he's also the least interesting thing in either of those kick-ass movies. That's true. So, 
because yeah. you're thinking of how much you loved Hit Girl. Oh, so want Hit Girl. I, my daughter will be Hit Girl. I'm, I kid you not. Exactly. I looked last last year for Halloween. I looked for that. I'm like, why is every Hit Girl costume made for like like twelve and thirteen? Who? Why would someone not make a Hit Girl costume for a toddler? Why? Why would you not do that? Why would you not? Why would you not uh, get them involved in uh, in buying the eventual uh, Blu-ray plus DVD, whatever's available in like ten years when she starts yeah. buying stuff? Start indoctrinating them now so into the kick-ass uh, merchandising juggernaut. I'm to go to those Halloween parties where the little girls are dressed like princesses, like Disney princesses, and my daughter walks in and is like, yeah, my daughter kills people. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, we really did that. Anyway, I was, I'm anyway, uh, uh, not a fan of Aaron, uh, whatever his name is, uh, yeah. Charisma Holt, but I'm a big, I am a fan of the movie, uh, especially the last hour when it's just like just Godzilla Smackdown Central, and that's uh, good. So Think Like a Man 2, as in T-O-O, uh, kind of blew people away when it opened because it opened at number one. Uh, and people thought, what? How? Why? What the, what's it? And that tells you two things. Um, that tells you, number one, that the uh, previous film gained, well, it tells you more than one, than a couple of things. It tells you several things. Here's what it tells you. It tells you, number one, that Think Like a Man did incredibly well after its theatrical run, kind of like Austin Powers did. You know, Austin Powers built its following on home video. So Think Like a Man, clearly, when it got to streaming and Netflix and everything else, that after its theatrical run, it developed a following that came out for the sequel. What else it tells you is black audiences have more clout and cachet and box office firepower than anybody has given them uh, credit for. And I know that everybody thought with all the Tyler Perry stuff that, no, this, this is the film that tells you black audiences are, are there to be reckoned with and you need to make movies for them. What it also tells you, Mark? Yes, you know I, I, I can't see you because there's literally oh, there's a tower of right. DVDs between us. I'm so sorry. It also tells you Kevin Hart is, is the real deal. Really? Kevin Hart is the real deal. People yeah. love him. He is funny, funny, funny. Now, yeah. is he going to continue to be the real deal? Is he gonna be, or is he going to be like Eddie Murphy? Is he going to be able to kind of like transition that into real parts or is he going to keep doing the same shtick? So far, it seems like he only has that one gear, where he's like the, the fast-talking guy who's not quite on the same page as everybody else. And uh, I think he's got to mix it up. I think he needs to be an actor. I think he really needs to kind of find... He needs to not just be the, the fast-talking friend who says the politically incorrect sexual stuff. You know, he needs to be... He needs to find a character. He needs to be able to evolve a character. He needs to do what, what Eddie started to do almost at the beginning of his career in things like 48 Hours. Eddie Murphy's not just funny in 48 Hours. He's funny, but he's also a character. He's, he's got an arc, and he gets real, and he gets very down to earth, and uh, that's what Kevin Hart's going to have to do if he's going to be that guy. So, right. anyway. Yeah. That's it for the new movies this week. Uh, good night, folks. Really? Show's over? No. That's just... Uh, so, you know, it's a TV week, basically, Mark. It's a, it's a big frickin' TV week. So, uh, let's, let's plow through some television stuff here super fast. Uh, Little House on the Prairie. If you dig Little House on the Prairie, that thing has been making its way to Blu-ray now steadily for a few months. And uh, all of this, of course, tied up with the 40th anniversary of the show. I can't believe that show was 40 years ago. I mean, that's, that's 40 years ago, dude. Little House on the Prairie. Like, when Little House on the Prairie was on, 40 years before that, there was no television. <laughs> you realize that? I know I'm making us feel old, but it's like 40 years before Little House on the Prairie was like World War Two, <laughs> on your mind. You know what I mean? It's like it's the, it, it isn't even World War Two. It's pre World War Two. Like Hitler hadn't even invaded Poland yet. 
Like if this were Little House on the Prairie today, we'd be talking about, wow, you remember that newsreel that showed, uh, you know, the Japanese invading Manchuria? That's how long ago this is now relative to what there was then. So are you saying that if Hitler never invaded, no, there'd be no Little House on the Prairie? Uh, I might be, actually. I'd have to give that some thought. Exactly. Anyway, this is season three of Little House on the Prairie, uh, now on Blu-ray and digital HD. Uh, and it's all remastered. Looks gorgeous. All that grain is still there, but the color is sharper. It looks better than it probably ever did uh, at the time, uh, depending on how good your TV was. But anyway, they loaded it up with special features, uh, including the Little House Phenomenon Part 3. They've got this ongoing thing with uh, each successive season, and uh, it's lovely. So, uh, you know, not my favorite show. i, I got to say, I don't think it's all that amazing, but uh, it, it, there's a nostalgia factor that's probably worthwhile. And uh, the fourth season of Blue Bloods, features uh, Donnie Wahlberg, who just got married, Mark. To Jenny McCarthy. That's right. Isn't that bizarre? Uh, I, it seems like I didn't even know they were properly introduced, let alone I know. married. Right. Isn't that strange? It's so bizarre. Anyway, um, yeah, no, this, is, uh, this show continues to just uh, surprise everybody. At, uh, and it's, it's a decent show. I have not seen enough episodes to really make a lot of sense of what's going on. But I got to tell you, uh, Tom Selleck's the man. Uh, Tom Selleck just, he, he kills it. And uh, anything that Tom Selleck is in is worth watching. So if I, if I had more time, I think I'd probably watch every single solitary episode of this. But this is, as of, as of right now, the fourth season of Blue Bloods. It keeps on rocking. And Tom Selleck continues to be the man. Uh, Wade, uh, I won't say much about Vampire Diaries because I haven't seen a whole lot of it. I will tell you, though, that the complete fifth season is on Blu-ray. And, uh, you know, look, here's the thing. Um, uh, it's 100 episodes in, and uh, people seem to still like it. Nita Dobrev is delicious. Mm-hmm. Although she's dating the other guy from the show, uh, Ian uh, Summerhalder. Um, there's a bunch of new featurettes on this, including a Comic-Con panel. That's like an easy extra to throw onto a Blu-ray since they, all those Comic-Con panels, they shoot them all right. and they're all fine. Uh, this is a gag reel and some unaired scenes, but ultimately uh, this is just more episodes of uh, the vampires and they're living in uh, where the hell they live. I, I skim through these. I, I mean, come on, guys. I, I, I can't watch all these. They're, they're terrible. Yeah. It's just not my thing. But uh, if you like that stuff, go for it. Fifth season, Vampire Diaries. And there's now a spinoff show. Um, it's that popular. Uh, the, 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 the vampire uh, recipes? Is it the vampire recipes? Uh, Cook uh, with uh, us. Uh, oddly enough, it really is the vampire, vampire recipes. Uh, no, it's called the originals. Of course it is. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, a couple of from Chicago. Chicago is always a good place to, to set things. So, we've got uh, season one of Chicago PD. And uh, season two of Chicago Fire, both of them from Dick Wolf, who, you know, that guy, can, would he, can't he just take a vacation? How oh, he's not. Oh, please. You know what? He, he's got a room full of writers and producers. I know. And he ain't doing nothing. I know. He's doing he's, nothing. He's collecting the he's checks. Just, it's that, um, unreal. That guy has become a money machine like nobody's business. And it's weird because I never would have pegged Dick Wolf to do that. It's not like he's Botchko. It's not like he's Norman Lear. It's not like he's Stephen J. Cannell. It's not like he's Glenn Larson. Like, those guys all had... Like, the touch of gold. They were all, wow, you know, I, like, they're, they're just these idea machines. And all Dick Wolf did was, uh, why don't we do this thing called Law and Order? I know. Why don't we do another thing called Law and Order? Hey, why don't we do another thing called Law and Order? And somehow, I, I don't know, I, I mean, that's it. It's just the, it's the house that Law and Order built, anyway. So he's obviously milking Chicago for a lot. Uh, and, uh, you know, both of these shows come back this fall. So Chicago Fire and Chicago PD. Uh, he's obviously trying to build another ongoing franchise here, interconnected stuff, and uh, I'm sure Chicago is throwing him a lot of bones. 
Um, you, you obviously get crossover episodes here. You know, these two shows are interconnected. A lot of behind-the-scenes stuff, which is fun, actually, uh, because these shows are logistically very challenging, more so than, than any of the Law & Order stuff, which is very talky. Law & Order is a walk-and-talk show. These are really very action-oriented, a lot of special effects, especially on Chicago Fire, logistically very challenging. So the behind-the-scenes stuff is really interesting. Uh, and uh, that's definitely worth checking out. So, um, yeah, so that's a couple from Dick Wolf. And uh, then we've also got a thing called Maya. This is the complete series of Maya. I know. You're like, I don't know what Maya is. Maya is a series I had never even heard of. And this is from the Warner Archive Collection, but it's a television series. And uh, there, was a, there was a movie called uh, Maya that was written by Sterling Siliphant, who's a great old screenwriter. And this is the adaptation of that. They turned it into a series. It was shot entirely in India, in the wilds of India. And um, it's, it's all about, you know, the adventures of these, uh, these two kids in India. Now, the thing that's a little weird is that one of the kids is Jay North, who played Dennis the Menace. The other one is an actual Indian kid, Sajid Khan. And that's fine. But Jay North um, it doesn't really belong in this movie. Now, it, it, again, that's just a very unusual thing that would have happened only at that time. So forget about the political incorrectness of it. Um, but it, it, uh, it feels a little bit like the Jungle Book slash some Rudyard Kipling thing made for television with a really low budget. But they shot it in India, so somehow it mitigates the low budget. Anyhow... Unusual series, didn't really fly, only played for 18 episodes, got canceled almost instantly, and back then that was like a half a season, but it is a real novelty today, and Warner Archive has put it out, and it's called Maya, and I found it to be uh, middlingly entertaining. Did you ever watch Daktari? No. You didn't watch Daktari? No. Kind of... What kind of strange person are you? <laughs> not strange enough, I guess. You didn't watch any ch- television. Your dad didn't let you. That's, That's why you wound up working on TV. Right. I just don't understand that. I watched <laughs> My dad only nonstop. didn't let me watch television in, in, during the high school years. My parents were good parents. They knew the second that I could hold my head up, they put me in front of the television, and they forced me to watch I Dream of Genie and Get Smart and the Monsters and Mod Squad and Starskin Hutch, and I didn't stop. No, I was, I was a latchkey kid. I didn't kid. blink. I didn't blink until I was 15. I, I was a latchkey kid. I sat there in my, in my apartment with my mother, yeah. and all I did was watch MTV all day long. Yeah. And then when I lived with my father for high school and into college, he hated TV, so I didn't. I got yeah, out of the habit. You. All right. Anyway, what we're saying is that Crime Scene Investigation Season 14, ladies and gentlemen, 14. <laughs> now, what, now, here's what I know about this season. There's, oh, there's a lot of crime, there's a lot of scenes, and there's a lot of investigation. Gosh. And so you got to love that part of it. Um, you know, Elizabeth Shue shows up. So interesting. Ted Danson shows up. I just, you know, you, you know, I saw the, um, I saw the billboards for CSI New Orleans. Yeah. Did we talk about this last time? I saw the. Um, you may. We may have. I saw the billboard for CSI. Uh, no, it's NCIS New Orleans, and you know, NCIS is like a very serious show. Mm-hmm. You know, investigations and people are there's crimes. In all the billboards for NCIS New Orleans, everybody's smiling. And I don't understand why an NCIS show would have people smiling when there's a crime to be solved. didn't make sense to me. Anyway, uh, uh, CIS, uh, uh, the original crime scene investigation, 14th season. What can I say? There's a couple special features on it. There's there's three audio commentaries, which is kind of nice. But otherwise, I mean, come on, people, seriously. I know. I mean, seriously. I mean, go, go, go ahead and get some fresh air. Yeah. Um, season nine of Supernatural. This is one of those CW shows that I I am too old to watch, so I have not seen this. Well, I will tell you, it has three episode commentaries and a bunch of um, interactive set crap and some behind the scenes. 
Supernatural is the story of uh, these uh, guys. They descend to Earth, and they're very supernatural. And they're all very, very handsome because uh, that's what CW people are. Yeah. Now, Wade, the big one for me is the Midnight Special. Now, mm-hmm. here's the situation. In 19, if, you, if you were alive in 1973, mm-hmm. when there were only three networks, by the way. Yeah. Friday night, NBC, 1 a.m., Midnight Special. That was a show that had all sorts of live performances. Big deal at the time. I mean, like 1 a.m. was like, you know, you were like the freaky, creepy cult guy who stayed up that late to watch like rock and roll. Now, you were not normal if you watched shows like Midnight Special. Mm-hmm. And so now what we have is, from the good folks at Star Vista, I wish this was on Blu-ray. Why don't they do that? It's so annoying. Um, 100 live rare performances from Midnight Special. It should be on Blu-ray. It, it they should be on should Blu-ray. Have, they should have, re- I, I, don't, I mean, just for the audio alone. Forget it. Even, even if the even if the video is not is not suitable to, to pump up to HD level, just for the audio, give this, me some lossless mania. Six DVDs. This show was on in the seventies, and it kind of it went into the early eighties. But man, it's got so many great songs. I mean, we're everybody from Barry Mallow to the Bee Gees and yeah. Blondie and yeah. and Carlos Santana and Earth, Wind and Fire and Eddie Money and this is John Denver. Mm-hmm. A lot. Oreo Speedwagon. Uh, it's just the Kinks. Um, Tom Petty, Village People, obviously, playing a YMCA. This is just mm-hmm. great, great stuff. Um, there's some great featurettes on this, including one on uh, Wolfman Jack, who is a legendary DJ. And, um, yeah, this is great stuff. The Midnight Special. Let me tell you something. If you're parents, if you want to be the greatest son or daughter, it's a podcast about Blu-rays, probably son, not necessarily daughter. If you want to be the best son ever, go get your parents' Midnight Special on DVD. I'm telling you, this is gold. Ah, that's that's I love sweet. this stuff. I Gosh, love it. Plus, it's live music. It's great. It's great. And there's like so many songs on it. That's awesome. So, what was it? The Vampire Recipes? What was it called? Uh, is it the uh, Vampire... Spin-off? Uh, spin-off? Yes. Uh, the, the Vampire uh, Diaries. No, the, but the spin-off was the, the... The originals. Oh, would that be this? It would be. There we go. Couldn't get any traction on that joke, so I pulled it out again. Uh, the complete first season of the originals, which is on Blu-ray and DVD and ultraviolet, so you can put it on every single device that you have and watch it nonstop all the time for the rest of your life. Um, again, I have, I am, you know, Vampire Diaries, not a fan like Mark, but uh, you know what? There's something to the originals. It's kind of cool, actually. If you just completely divorce yourself from the whole Vampire Diaries thing, there's there's almost a kind of uh, quasi Dark Shadows concept to this. And, uh, you know, the idea that you're going back to the original vampire family and if you, you know, the original uh, the hybrid between the, the werewolves and the vampires. And if you assume that other, all this other vampire werewolf stuff hasn't preceded this, like, uh, you know, all the, uh, the, the, the underworld films and the, uh, all that Kristen Stewart crap. <laughs> Uh, you, know you, know, you know what's funny about Christmas? Too? We, we don't even know what they're called anymore. Aren't they kind of for Twilight? Aren't they kind of forgotten? I'm trying. Do you even as, care? No, 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 not at all. Yeah, Twilight is so... Flash in the pan. It's like the Bowery Boys. It's like it's a big deal for a moment and then everyone forgets about the it. Bowery Boys? Remember the Bowery Boys? Last week I talked about the, uh, the Bowery Boys. Yeah, whatever. I wasn't paying attention. Of course you weren't. Anyway, no, uh, honestly, it remains to be seen how this kind of all pans out, but it's, uh, it is an ongoing thing. This is a complete first season, and I, I, from what I have been able to watch of it, I think it's got kind of a, an interesting sheen. It's got an interesting angle of its own. Uh, Prisoners of War, it's really interesting. You know, people here love the homeland, at least the first season. Kids I think, love the homeland. I think the second season of the homeland went, went kind of kabonkers, and people were like, it's not all that. Get it back on track. But uh, the, people don't realize it was originally an Israeli show. It was a show called Prisoners of War, 
And it was this amazing Israeli show. And you can, you can now see it here. This is season two that I have in my hand. Uh, it won, this thing won nine Israeli Academy of Film and Television Awards. And, um, wow. Yeah. You know what? <laughs> I, I got to say, it is, it's, it's different, but it's not. And uh, it's interesting because it, it, there's something about it. It's like, it's not Homeland. It doesn't have quite that, like, grit. It doesn't feel, if you're an American, it obviously doesn't feel as close but yet it feels more it feels more like intense because it's over there and we know what's going on over there and especially where it concerns with Syria and all this stuff like the whole everything is just burning to the ground over there and Hamas and you know the Gaza strip it's just it's it's a mess in that part of the world like more so right now than it has been in a long time and something about watching this and knowing that over there it just it gives it like an extra little puts a little extra pit in your stomach so it's, it's definitely worth watching. Uh, if you're a Homeland fan, you might have some mixed feelings about it. But uh, i got to tell you, man, they, the Israeli television has come a long way since, uh, since Monsters in the Hookah. That's true. And, uh, you know, in the Sukkah. It, Sorry, Monsters in the Sukkah. Because it's Israeli. Uh, uh, it's very, they're all very Shalom, Shalom Sesame is all, I, all I'd ever seen before. Well, they're all very low budget because they're put together by Jews. And then the, uh, the last one here that I'm going to mention before I let Mark unleash is uh, we have a Blu-ray, DVD, and ultraviolet combo set of the second season of Arrow. And you know what? If People love this show. People absolutely love this show. This show gets better and better and freaking better and better and better. Uh, it, it, this, is, this is really where DC should be putting its bread and butter. I, I, if, if they can continue to do television that's this good, if Gotham winds up being this good, if they can tie this in with Gotham, if they can start to do on television what Marvel has been doing with their movies, forget all of your, your Justice League and Ben Affleck and Superman, Batman, and, and Wonder Woman crap. Do this. Because this is where it's at. If Gotham starts to touch on this, I'll tell you, the, the whole Warner DC thing will, will, will start to strike gold on television in a big way. Uh, Arrow is a great show. It is really sharp. They've taken the whole Green Arrow concept from being this, this dorky guy in tights and a Robin Hood costume in the Justice League car, uh, comic books, which always is like, didn't you feel the same way? I love Justice League, but I always read it and I thought, what's with the, what's with the Robin Hood guy? Like, why is he along for the ride? Like, everybody else here, I barely accept Hawkman. Like, I would just shoot him in the wing and just take him out. Like, what else does he have other than the wings? Like, half those people can fly anyway. Green Lantern can fly and Superman can fly and Batman just puts himself in a big plane. What, what, what's Hawkman doing? Yeah, but I, I He's felt flapping the, wings. I felt the same way about half those superheroes. Like, yeah. like you know, like but, Batman, you know what? Let me tell you something. A sniper, 100 yards, <laughs> Batman's gone. Well, but, but Green Arrow, it's like, get a gun, dude. Get a, get an Uzi. Something. Arrows? Are you kidding me? And tights and the hat and the feather and the whole thing? What's wrong with you? You're, 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 make, you're messing up the joint. But I got to tell you, they, they took that unbelievable... Somebody had the vision to say, you know what? That thing that is so unbelievably uncool, I think we can make it really cool. And they made it really cool. And it's well-written, it's well-produced, and everything about it is really sharp, and it gets better and better. And the second season just kills on the first season. Um, so uh, I, I say keep it up. Keep it up. This is, uh, this is really great. And I am looking forward to Gotham, man. Are you not yeah, you looking forward what? to Gotham? It, you know, Gotham gets me into, into this Hannibal conversation because okay. here's the thing. When, when we were young, yes. they had this show called <clears throat> Scooby-Doo Babies. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, why do they have to take Scooby-Doo and they've run out of stories, so now they have to make them kids because they got nothing else well, to do. Well, it's like Muppet Babies. Like and, Muppet and, Babies. And, and, and they no. did the same thing with the, with the Looney Tunes. Yeah, I know. It's uh, and, the and then they did the same thing with the Teen Titans. Yes. And, yeah. Well, you know what? Well, now we have Gotham yeah. where they can't tell bad. So now, so now they, they make them all eight years old. So. 
You know what I mean? Is, so now we have. So you can't do Hannibal with with Anthony Hopkins. Now so, it's got to be Hannibal's like a it's like a forty year old. So, Just, so you're saying Gotham is going to be like Bugsy McBatman? <laughs> like Scooby Doo babies? Okay. It'll be Batman babies. <laughs> okay. But. It's just annoying. It's like Bugsy Malone. Yes, I, I love that movie. I know. Is, is that on Blu-ray? Bugsy Malone. Alan Parker, folks. Alan I know. Parker. He's got another film allegedly in the works. Please really? make another one before you die. I know. Uh, anyway, but you know what? Hannibal actually isn't that bad. I, 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 the, the thing with Hannibal is that I don't want to know what he was like before Silence of the Lambs because uh-huh. I love Silence of the Lambs. It's iconic. It's brilliant. Yeah. It's Oscar winning. It, it, sure. it, it swept it all. It was unbelievable. Yeah. Um, but I guess if it gives Mads Mikkelsen some work, it can't be that bad, right? Because Mads right. is the best. He's the best. He's so, the man. So um, anyway, but, and, but here it's <clears> like <throat> he's, he's a shrink and he's asked to help these two cops solve crimes while still being a serial killer. So it's kind of like uh, it just I, – I, 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 you know what? As 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 well done as it is, it doesn't feel like it's canon to me. It feels like a TV network wanted to make some. You money know why it doesn't character. feel like it's canon? Uh, you already know where I'm going with this joke. So the Mindy, so the Mindy it's project. Because, it's because William Conrad's not in it. That's why it doesn't feel exactly. like. And I never liked that show. And if anybody doesn't get that joke, just go and do it. Do an IMDb. Now Robert Conrad, he was cool. Oh, dude! You know, I was just thinking the other day. Now that we're on a complete tangential stream of consciousness. I am so desperately looking for them to release some of his lesser... Like, Robert Conrad had this moment where he made a whole bunch of failed television series, but they were really cool. They were all really cool. They all ran for like five or six or maybe ten episodes, but they were all cool. And there was one, what was it called, the, where he was the spy guy, and he, it was like a James Bond thing, and he went into the toy store and took the elevator down. What? You made oh, that up. No, see, hang on. The, and the other one was The Duke, where he's, where he's this, uh, this former boxer in Chicago, and it had the greatest theme. And, it, oh, my gosh, it was, hold on, I'm going to get this. Robert Conrad. Um, I mean, I love Robert Conrad. I love just about everything. I, I, you know, did. I actually produced him once on a show, the and best. he was super cool. Oh, he's the coolest guy ever. So he, but no, he was, he was like, he was an old boxer who would like, it was like, you know, like a cop show. And it had um, um, Rick from, uh, you know, Minetti. What's his name? Uh, oh, yeah. From, what's his name? From uh, uh, Magna P.I. I forgot. I, I, yeah, I, I he don't was know his on. name, but I, I can picture But that's why I first found, noticed him. I'm like, that guy's pretty cool. And then the show got canceled and Magna P.I. came on. I'm like, oh, it's the guy from The Duke. But uh, no, it, it was it was. So a, basically, if you watch a show, the it's Duke going to get TV canceled. series, it oh man, that had like no. And then before that, he, you know, there was Black Sheep Squadron, and uh, what was that other? That oh man, what was that? He did the Centennial miniseries. No, there was another. Right. Can, can I talk about something else? Yeah, go ahead. I'll find it. All right, the Mindy Project season two. This uh, show was a, was um, very Mary, Mary Tyler Moore esque, where uh, Mindy Kaling plays a uh, OBGYN, which I guess her mother was an OBGYN, so it's kind of based on her mother's uh, story. This thing was a bit of a, it was a a, a an, an ugly Betty type bubbling phenomenon, and it, and I don't know this film, this film. I don't think the show is going to reach escape velocity in terms of like being a total phenomenon. The numbers are 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 good, but not like super great. Um, a man called Sloan. <laughs> Ran for 12 episodes right after the Duke was canceled. The I knew they were in some order. How the goddamn hell would you know that? It was great. It was so much fun. No, he was like it wasn't. a secret I, agent. I guarantee... He was a spy. He was very Wild Wild Westy. He'd like walk into the toy store and there was an elevator and he went down. There's all these cool gadgets. I guarantee if you saw that show, he'd be like this lame. Sloan is a freelance spy. Although he doesn't work for the government, he frequently accepts assignments from, assignments from the director, a head of a secret government agency. He's wow. assisted by Torque. 
a man with a detachable hand which can be replaced by a variety of implements, drills, guns, and whatnot. And whatnot. Wow. Now, that that look, whatnot's dangerous. That was, that was written by Afterburner. The people who write these things for IMDb, it's, it's, they, they're all bucking for something. Dan O'Hurley, he was the director. Anyways, remember that project. was a great show. James Franco shows up. Chloe Sevigny shows up. Uh, it's, it's cute, quirky, and that sort of cute... You know, so, so, so some of the quirk in these Fox shows seem a little manufactured to me, but... Uh, you know, I think there's a place in the world for mini Kaling, probably more on TV. But uh, yeah, sure. anyway, why not? See, as we have, we have, um, we have South Park season 500 million, 17th season of South Park, includes the Black Friday trilogy. The Duke, um, the Duke. I, he's he's an, he's, a, he's an ex-boxer, becomes a Chicago private eye. I wonder. Yeah, you got some deleted scenes here, uh, which is weird. There's, there's not a lot of. It's funny that South Park has deleted scenes. I, I know they always do, only because um, I know what their production week is like, and um, the fact that they would have a deleted scene more than ten seconds is pretty amazing. But um, yeah, good stuff. Some commentary, um, deleted scenes, episode uh, season seventeen. What can I say? It's 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 up and down. It's funny. It's like The Simpsons. Some seasons are good. Some seasons is not that good. Um, so, but just letting you know it's available. Yep. Um, About a Boy is an interesting show. Uh, this is based on the book and the movie. And it turns out that there's just a lot of interesting stuff going on with About a Boy. It, it's about this guy, David Wald. I don't know who the hell is he is. Is there anything to do with, ne- the, with, the, with, the, any, with the movie? Yeah. Okay. It's about this guy. He's a songwriter. And suddenly, oh, knock, okay. knock, knock, comes Minnie Driver and her son and turns his world upside down, to use a cliche. And uh, I'm very surprised. I think this, I, I don't know what the impetus was to make a show out of this particular property, but boy, it works. There's a lot of interesting uh, character work being done here. There's a lot of uh, it's it pretty. It's kind of poignant stuff. Um, it can be pretty disarming. It's never that syrupy. It's uh, it's kind of an interesting show. I'm, it, was, it was a big surprise. I did not expect about a boy to do it. Now the show isn't doing that all that great. However, it was picked up for another season. So I'm um, hoping for the best. Um, for about a boy, sort of a comedy drama type thingy, Thigma Bob. So Crossbones, Mark, you up on Crossbones? No, never heard you, of it. You familiar with this? Never heard of it. So talk about Incredible. it. Incredible. Uh, never heard of it. It's great. It's uh, mm. it's it's basically like this revisionist look at Blackbeard with John Malkovich on TV. Wow. Right. It's an NBC thing. I, 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 for, how did this thing even like miss my my radar? What was happening that I oh, I have a baby? That's right. No. Uh, you know what? It's 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 rock solid production value. Uh, a little hysterical at times, but you know what? Malkovich brings the weird. He does. He Imagine bring, that. He, he brings the weird. He lays it on thick, and the whole thing takes this like. I mean, obviously, what they're what they're going for here is they 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 clearly somebody watched Vikings, and they thought, okay, Gabriel Byrne like uh, like brings the jerky, and maybe we could do like a pirate thing that's maybe a little bit like Vikings. What's but we the need jerky? Some, what does that mean? The jerky? Because yeah, he's like he's like a jerk. Oh, he's like a jerky Viking. As opposed to you know like a, like a happy Viking like wee let's go pillaging, and uh, <laughs> wee let's go pillaging, rolling down the hill to the, to the town. <laughs> Can we roll down the hill this time instead of running? No, but the, but but we have to surprise. We can't roll down there. What are we children? But I want to roll down the hill. Be fun, just once, please. Uh, it's too funny. So anyway, no crossbones is uh, it gets it he brings the he brings the weird and the whole pirate deal and it's it, it's it's good. So um, I've not watched I have not watched the complete season one. So maybe it, it gets you know uh, maybe the, maybe it gets happy by the end and they're they're happy pirates. But uh, actually it it uh, it's from what I have seen so far it's it's pretty good. 
So uh, let's see, you know, what we can do as far as weaving this into history and, and finding those little nooks and crannies that let Malkovich kind of go crazy. Uh, yeah, why not? Why not, man? Uh, let's, let's give this... Uh, Let's give let's give it let's give it some time to kind of uh, evolve something. Get some deleted scenes on here. That's all you get. But man, I'll tell you, I, I think that show's got some. Uh, I think it's got some promise. Grey's Anatomy has been in, been on forever, and uh, this is the complete tenth season. Uh, wow, man, ten. You know, I loved this show for like the first three or four years, and then I, I, it just I, I don't know. It just it got to be the same again. I, there were some episodes of this show that were as tense as anything I have ever seen on television. But 10 years in, I mean, I missed a whole bunch of seasons, uh, and then I started catching up on them when we started getting them on DVD, and then I, it was like, uh, you know, I don't know. I just, it's wearing, it's wearing really thin. So, uh, especially now that, you know, Shonda Rhimes has effectively moved on to Scandal and all these other shows, I mean, she's not really doing much on Grey's Anatomy anymore. This it's another needs hand. to be put out to pasture. It really does. It it's needs over. to be put out to pasture. So, uh, you know, they've, they've swapped a lot of people in and out of the cast, and there are new people who've shown up, and... It just it it it's on fumes, man. It's on fumes. It's one of those shows they need to just get get that sucker into syndication and make some money for everybody. Uh, Spencer for hire, the late Robert <laughs> Urich. I never liked that show. First season. But finally, it's out. I mean, come um, on. Of, of all those shows, they never came out with Spencer for Hire. I'm that gonna, was a big show at the time. I know it was. And to me, Robert Urich will always be Dantana in Vegas. But Avery Brooks. I know Avery Brooks, You're right? From Star uh, Trek, right. Uh, one of those Star so, Trek shows. So, so I'm at Vaughn's Market one night because, right? Sometimes I can't go to the market until the baby's asleep. So it's like ten o'clock at night, and I run to Vaughn's. Vaughn's closes at eleven, right, or eleven thirty, whatever it is. You got, but it's about an hour till closing. It's when all the creepy ghouls come out. And that's right? the Vaughn's on uh, Sunset and yeah. uh, PCA. It gets it. It's like the lurkers come out, right? It's a very strange place at that time of night. People who go shopping at ten o'clock at night are not your average people. They're there for some strange reason. Like they have babies or they can't stand daylight. I don't know what it is, but it's a, it's a different crowd. And I'm there, and there's this guy, this kind of portly gentleman, who's striking up a conversation with one of the, one of the workers there. And, uh, and it's a very loud conversation. And I'm like, oh, I'm just going to turn around and go grab my cereal. And before I know it, suddenly this guy's all over me. I like your T-shirt, man. I like that T-shirt. I don't even remember what T-shirt I was wearing. I was like, "Oh yeah, it's a, it's a shirt that a friend of mine does a thing and got a whatever." Yeah, good to see you. And he's like, "So what do you do, man?" I'm like, "I'm a film critic." I should have said I'm a ditch digger. I should have said I'm a ditch. You know digger. what? I bet that was Avery Brooks. He's a weird guy. It, it turns out it's Robert Urich's cousin. Oh, his cousin, who's like this jazz musician, and he's really good. You go to his website, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is really good music. I, 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 yeah, at first, he's, he's like, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I do music, and I'm Robert, I'm Robert York's cousin. And I'm looking at him. He just dropped that for I'm no look, reason? Yeah, he just dropped it. I'm looking at him. He's got like, he's got like, a, like a Latin name, you know? And, like, and I'm looking at him, and I'm like, mm. and then he does this. He covers the lower half of his face, and he points to his eyes, and I'm like, oh, yeah, it's the same eyes. I he get really it. did that? He did that. That's weird. <laughs> it was a very strange evening. Anyway, so we traded emails. and, and uh, you, but, never, you never heard from him again? No, then I, then I got an email from him, and he sent me his, his website. And, you know, he's self-promoting, man, like everybody else has to. But anyway, so Spencer for Hire, Robert Urich, that's the only thing I can say about it. I, it's a decent show, Avery Brooks and Robert. Okay, Bonanza. The official seventh season value pack, and then I also have the Dynasty value pack, final season, uh, volumes one and two of each of these. Um, you know what, Dynasty, the final season, man, I love Dynasty, but the final season is one terrible piece of television. It's like nobody cared. They all knew it was the final season. 
They know they can't get canceled because it's ending. I could literally just write gibberish in this script. I could have everybody come out and just go blah, 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 blah. And I can't lose my job because we're canceled anyway. It's the last season. No one can fire me. I'm going to get residuals for anything that I put on the page. I don't have to justify my job. And that is what the 10th season of Dynasty feels like. Everyone just walks out and goes blah, 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 and, that's, and that's the truth. And there you go. Bonanza, on the other hand, uh, the seventh season, this show ran for like 18 years. It is unbelievably resilient. It is still good. It is still rock solid. It is still beautifully shot, nicely put together. And the amazing thing about Bonanza is, and especially the seventh season, a lot of great episodes here. Tons oh, yeah. and tons of guest stars. It's just. I love I lo- Bonanza. I love the episode where they were on a horse. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> and good for you. Now, here's the thing about Bonanza. You watch one of these episodes, and you've literally, seen them all. literally, you've seen them all. But literally, no matter how many times you've seen it, it's like Star Trek. 30 seconds in, you're hooked. As soon as, as, soon as it dun, 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 you're like, I gotta watch it all the way through. Damn it. Like, I cannot sit down and just watch 10 or 15 minutes of Bonanza, check the video quality, you know, go to another episode. I'm sitting there, and next thing I know, I'm an hour in. And it's ending. And I'm like, dun, 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 And it's like, oh, you got me every time. You have very... This show... This freaking Little, show. Yes. I, I, have very, I love very low threshold. I know. This show used to, you know, the, the, the people who used to watch this, the ratings this show would pull in? Oh, yeah. It was a, no show will sure. ever get those ratings ever again. Wrong about that. But It'll yeah, never it get the, that share. It'll never, no show well, will ever sh- get that share, share again. That's, I mean, that's different. Now, it's a whole different time anyway. Well, Super Bowl. The Super Bowl will get yes. that kind of a share. I, I mean, lots of shows, you know, look, when I did the Roseanne show, right, yeah. in like, 99, the Roseanne talk show, yeah. we premiered at a 3.3. Which was the disappointment? We were like, oh, we got a three point three for the premiere. Oh, we're screwed. Today you get a three point three. You're phenomenon. I know. It's totally everything's totally changed. changed. Anyway, carry on. Anyway, the Goldbergs um, is a show that you would a sitcom on ABC. You would think I'd like, but uh, it's just it's just not great. It's just a little too hacky for me. Um, what I do like about it is that it gives George Siegel work, and I love George Siegel, one of my favorite uh, actors, lead actors uh, from the '80s. He was the best. Um, anyway, was, so the, I loved him as I loved him as the bird in that movie. Huh? Where the bird, where he's the, where he flies around. Go ahead, say it. Jonathan Livingston Siegel. <laughs> Never mind. Nobody knows what that is. I know. Um, anyway, there's some there's a couple there's a couple sharp jokes in there, but it's also it's 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 one of those shows that like it's uh, it's pretty it's politically incorrect for a family show. Yeah. And I think that some people don't necessarily like all the bile in it. Cause again, back in the eighties, you can get away with stuff like that. So they're kind of bringing that back in a quote unquote family sitcom. Um, so some people are chafing against the, the fact that some of the humor is a little bit, uh, like not very good role modeling humor. Um, but frankly, that's what you should be embracing about it. But I, I just think it's not really all that funny. I'm surprised that this actually got a second season, but, um, the Goldbergs is with Jeff Garland and uh, George Siegel. That's all I know. Nice. Now we have another show we have that I couldn't care less about is Haven. Haven is um, on the Sci-Fi Channel. It's kind of based on that Stephen King uh, novella whose name is, I can't remember, Colorado Kid, something like that. Um, Emily Rose plays this FBI agent, comes to a town in Maine, and uh, she, winds her, she winds up uh, you, you know, investigating a murder, and there's all this supernatural stuff that she now has to investigate because this town is like caught up in Stephen King-esque supernatural doings. And uh, what can I say? You know, it's, um, as a cop drama, it's not that great. Um, the characters, you know, over the course of a season, characters living in a small town, you want to feel like you're kind of getting to know maybe four or five, six key characters and getting into their story. It doesn't really happen here. 
Um, so you know, it, it, bits are bits and pieces are intriguing, but ultimately, I just I'm not really that into the characters. I'm not really that into the story. And you know what it is? There's a lot of shows right now, like The Dome. Mm-hmm. So another Stephen King thing about like, and then the, and sci-fi does this a lot. It's there's weird going, there's supernatural goings on. What's happening in this crazy town? Um, and I'm a little tired of those sorts of shows because they're all kind of the same. Yeah. And Haven is one of them. All right. Well, there we go. Hi, Haven. Uh, speaking of that, Hawaii Five O, the fourth season. Nah, whatever. I mean, the you new know, one. The new one. It just—it's like why? I mean, I know this show's doing well, and it's doing well because it's like it's Hawaii, and people like to watch shows that have to do with Hawaii. It's why we had you know Hawaii and I with Robert Conrad we talked about earlier, and then Hawaii Five O, the original, and Magnum PI, and people freaking love Hawaiian set shows because it's nice. It's a way of having taking a vacation in Hawaii, but it's not the original. It doesn't have what the original had. It just doesn't. And Alex O'Laughlin is no McGarrett. I, I just—it it kills me that they named him McGarrett. Why not just name him something else? Why not just be like? Some guy. Why do we have to do the McGarrett thing all over again? It just doesn't work. Um, they're all too good looking. They're all too just chiseled. And it doesn't have, you know, it just doesn't have like, that cast originally was interesting. There were a bunch of interesting guys. Well, you know, the, the thing with all these shows, including CSI. Everybody's too pretty now. Everybody's too pretty. And it's just, it doesn't have any grit to it. No. You know, it's like. Uh, uh, like that's an, what I like. See, that's what I like about Malkovich, man. You know, it's like there's some, there's, there's God, grit and weird. But in, 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 in the old Hawaii Five O, they weren't just driving around the beach all the time. No, they would it was, go it into was the, seriously procedural. Yeah, they would go into you know, the little, the little uh, lower middle class areas of and Hawaii. Tim, and, uh, and Tim Cockshell and I were talking about this once, and Tim was like, "Does anybody remember that 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 uh, Gavin McLeod, Captain Stubing from the Love Boat, was a pimp who was shooting heroin into hookers in an early episode of Hawaii Five O? Would you ever have that on television today? Yeah, probably." Okay, maybe. Okay. <laughs> All right, so here's the thing, Wade. Uh, yes. We have a viewer mail, don't we're, forget. The giveaway. We, we Why have you not list, talked about the giveaway? Listener mail, and we're going to do the giveaway right now. Because the giveaway is related to television. But first, I'm going to make a mention of Transformers Beast Machines, the complete series, because this was like this weird Transformers series where they had to... It's not enough that they're just machines. They've got to be like animals as well. It's Optimus Primal, not Optimus Prime. And they, they're, they're called Maximals. And I don't know whose idea this Maximals? was. It, it look, it's just, it, it just, who knows? Anyway, uh, you know what? It, it, it's basically the same as just about every other CG animated Transformers series. It's got all the same pitfalls and all the same sort of attributes. Like it's mainly for little boys. There's no little girl who's ever going to watch this. It's very anime inspired. But seriously, the whole animal thing. Why was that? Really? Like, why did, why was that, I mean, when did that come up in a pitch meeting? I know. Let's give them, like, animal character. What? Really? That's what they did for Manimal. Whatever. What was the one with the motorcycle? Rex Smith on the motorcycle that was like uh, Knight Rider, except it was a motorcycle? What was that? What was that show uh, called? Star Wars? No, you know what I'm talking about. I don't know. It was like when, when Knight Rider came on, everybody's like, oh, crap, we've got to get on that bandwagon. Hey, let's, make it, let's have one with a motorcycle. And they hired Rex Smith because he was hosting Solid Gold at the time. They put him on a motorcycle, and it lasted like four episodes until uh, somebody said, no, what the hell are we um, doing? Yeah, street. Uh, no, it's like. Um, Whatever it was. Hang on. It's terrible. Hang Find on. It. I know it. it. It's, it's Street Hawk. Street Hawk. Good grief. That was a horrible show. Dreadful. Okay, so here's our giveaway. We're giving away Denver, The Last Dinosaur, the complete series. Um, we have one to give away. So send us an email with 
Wait, what is it? Denver, the last dinosaur. Why don't you tell people what that is? It's not well, like we're giving I'm, away the Godzilla movie. Okay, I'm going to give away the information first. So that you can get onto this. So uh, send us an email. Date, date stamp no later than the 21st, Sunday the 21st, uh, with Denver in the subject and your mailing address in the body of the email, and we will alert you by that Monday if you have won the one lucky person. So send us an email. Denver. Uh, this is Denver, the Last Dinosaur, the complete series. It's a little bit like, uh, like McGill Gorilla meets the Archies in some sense, I guess. It's actually a really fun show. I can't believe I totally missed this at the time. Um, but it's, you know, he's a dinosaur, and he's, he's hanging with the kids, man. And uh, it's actually really fun, and it's smartly written. And uh, it's, this is just a, a surprisingly wonderful discovery all these years later to, uh, to be on, on the, the Denver The Last Dinosaur bandwagon. So I, uh, I, I just think this is a really cool show. And uh, it brings back a lot of uh, memories that I never actually had. How do you like that? Mark? Mark's gone. Mark? Did Denver, did Denver ch- scare you out of the room? Yes, yes, it did. Oh, nothing. No, nothing. No way. Okay. Uh, real quickly, no, uh, rather very last. We're going to go through some uh, classic movies to uh, try to wrap out the show here. There's some foreign stuff that I should try to get to as well. But uh, first off, did you watch uh, The World Wars by any chance? Uh, it's an interesting concept. Uh, flip through it. It's, it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I'd re- yeah, it's fine. Yeah, it's, it's not bad, right? Yeah, well, you know what it is. It's it's um, it shows um, the fact that like Stalin, like all these uh, all these people from World War II, like Hitler and Stalin and Roosevelt, that during World War One they were just grunt yeah infantrymen yeah and it sort of tells Churchill, the story through Hitler that. yeah it, it it's it's really interesting it's interesting. It, sort of, it connects the two wars in, a, in which we all know have always been connected in a, in a historical sense but. It's it's really interesting. Um, it, it's a it's a very smart idea for a miniseries, and they did a really uh, very decent job with it. I'm always a little iffy when I see these actors who are clearly actors playing historical figures who I know so well. Like the only way anybody ever portrays Hitler and Stalin is they just figure they can get they can escape by putting the mustache on. Like you know, just, I, I'll hide behind the mustache because you know Hitler's was just so iconic and Stalin's was so big. You could like you could put any face behind those mustaches and just you know act like a tyrant, and, I'm, and then that passes for acting. And that that's always a problem I have, but not not here. They really they did a very interesting job with this. So um, I, I I got I, you know it's not brilliant, but it's an interesting idea. And what it what it lacks in the execution, it makes up for in originality. So I would say, uh, check this out: Blu-ray digital HD uh, set of the World Wars from the History Channel by way of Lionsgate. It's worth checking out. All right, Mark, we've got some amazing classic movies to talk about. Wait, let me tell you something. We do. Have, we have some great ones. There is a movie. Oh, yes, there is. <laughs> Why are you not talking about Eraserhead? Because I want... This, this, this is like the Oldman Wade movie. I know. This is uh, David Lynch's 1977 debut. This is just yeah. a crazy and trippy. I'll, and the I'll, guy's I'll, let, I'll let you do the, do the honors, and then I'll chime in with my story. Um, it's, uh, the black and white photography is unbelievable. Yeah. The sound design is, is at, at once low budget and yet somehow completely brilliant. Uh, this is great stuff. And, of course, Criterion... Now... You know, on Lynch's website, you can get yeah that whole Lynch box set. Yeah. So now the, the, the green box. Be, the, the right. So now the question becomes, the print that Lynch uses for the, his box set versus the print that was used for the Criterion mm-hmm. and all the extras that Criterion puts on this thing, right? Including an, it's a 2K restoration. There's a 2001 documentary on Lynch about the making of this film. There's a couple of video essays and some short films. So you, you are chomping at the bit, aren't you? 
What, which bit? Where? The bit which where bit? I'm where I'm asking whether it's better to get the Lynch box set, which includes... Well, it's always best to get this. This is this is beautiful. This uh, is gorgeous. No, it is gorgeous. This is gorgeous. But I'm just going to say, how many people in the world can say that they have seen Eraserhead with David Lynch? I mean, a lot of people, but not like a million. Whoa. How many people currently sitting at this, ho- table? Sitting at this table can make that claim? Uh, I can. You can. Yes, I saw it in my mind. Okay, there in you the go. screening room in my mind. So, so I've actually seen Eraserhead with David Lynch because my wife used to work for David Lynch. I don't, I'm sure I've mentioned that on the show many times before. But there was a moment where Lynch does this regularly. He'll just say, "Hey, everybody, let's go see Eraserhead." So he'll he'll drag everybody down. In this case, we went to the uh, the Sunset Screening Room Annex in uh, in Burbank. You know, there's a couple of little annexes over there that are owned by the same people that own the Sunset Screening Room. You knew that, right? Correct. Yes. So we go over there because. It's a private screening room, so Lynch gets to smoke a cigarette and not be subject to the rules of no smoking in a screening room. And so David sits there in the front seat and puffs away, and you see the smoke going up in front of the screen. And we're watching Eraserhead with David Lynch in the same screening room, and it was a blast. Now, at, it was now an at the end, blast. at the end, is he, does he say, "Wow, what do you think of that?" It's it's understood that there are um, there are certain questions you do not ask David, and one of them is, don't ask him anything about the baby. Don't ask him how it was made. Don't ask him how... D- uh, nothing. He will, not, he, he will not answer any questions. He doesn't like them. So that means that there's something weird about the baby. Just, it's a mystery. I mean, we've all seen the film. The baby in that film is like the strangest, creepiest puppet you've ever seen in any movie ever. And, the, and Eraserhead was basically his, his AFI student film. It was his graduate project. You know, he spent years on it, made it for next to no money, scraping it together, like bicycling the footage to the lab and this kind of stuff. I mean, it was a real, you know, that was like, it was a remarkable effort. And it was that movie that launched his career because it was Mel Brooks who saw it and came running out and like threw his arms around him and said, I love you, you're a madman. And next thing you know, he dropped the elephant man in his lap and he became an instant Oscar nominee. I mean, it's amazing how that film literally launched everything. It's one of the great debut film stories of all time. It is. It's so incredible. what you're saying is, get the Criterion. Get the Criterion. It's fantastic. It's gorgeous. It's, it's, it is almost like watching it with Lynch himself. It is. It's fantastic. <laughs> Mark, you know what else we've got this week? Uh, what else we have this week? I've got to tell you, Kino Lorber, they're, they're putting out some great stuff. We've got a ton of great Kino Lorber things, these Kino Lorber uh, Studio Classics titles. Great stuff. Peter Sellers in the party. Blake Edwards. Yeah, it's about time. We last week. We, last num, week. Num. Last week we talked about uh, the uh, the Warner Archive release of the Great Race. Blake Edwards is on a roll here. The party. Look, politically incorrect on a level that people can't even comprehend. If you're if you're if you're Indian, if you're East Indian uh, of, of East Indian ethnicity, Sri Lankan, Pakistani, or whatever, just suspend any emotion that could conceivably make you feel offended. It is a totally stereotypical uh, representation. However, it's Peter Sellers. I don't care what he's doing. Peter Sellers in yellowface, Peter Sellers in blackface, Peter Sellers as an Indian, Peter Sellers just as a white person. He's funny. Peter Sellers gets a pass on all of that stuff, as far as I'm concerned. Peter Sellers is nuts, and he's funny, and Bertie Num Num, uh, bang partner. Uh, This movie just slays me. It absolutely slays me. It's some of the best physical comedy I have seen since the silent era. It is amazing. Dude, tell me, in the bathroom, trying to clean the water off the painting. Uh, You know what I'm talking about. Of course. Dude, do you not... I cannot watch that scene. I I absolutely have to go... I hate to be this graphic. I have to go to the bathroom before I watch this movie because if I don't, I will urinate on myself during that scene. No, that makes no sense. That's how hard I laugh. I cannot, it is uncontrolled. I lose all control of all bodily function in that moment. 
That's how funny that scene still is to me. You're out of your mind. I, it's just, it's, in, it's incomparable. We're on Blu-ray from Kino Lorber here. Uh, so thank goodness that, that whoever the rights holders are over at UA allowed this to happen. This is a brilliant, funny, crazy movie. Blake Edwards and Peter Sellers at their level best. Better than any Pink Panther movie for my money. Uh, wait from 1959. Uh, this is this is a Paramount film released by the uh, good folks over at Olive. This is the Blu-ray of the Big Operator. Now, yeah. um, there's really no reason to check this out unless you're like a total Mickey Rooney completist and the and you want to see Mickey Rooney like naked. Play, exactly. Yeah. You want to see like you want to see him play like a corrupt union boss as opposed to like his usual musical comedy roles, which is how he started his career. Um, so it's not bad. It's fine. Uh, you know, there's a million other movies you can watch other than The Big Operator. But uh, what I do like about it, it's got a good cast. Mel Tomre, Jim Backus, uh, maybe Van Dorn, of course, Mickey Rooney. So um, also Vampire's in this. Yeah. Yeah, Vampire's in this. The original Vampire. Sweet. So uh, there you go. Big Operator from 1959, Mickey Rooney. Very nice. And then we've got a funny thing happened on the way to the forum. Gosh, this is another great UA title that they've got over at Kino Lorber. I, I just think it's wonderful. Uh, have you ever seen a funny thing happen on the way before? Uh, many years ago, I saw it. Of the all, you know, uh, one of the more peculiar Richard Lester films. Uh, it's sort of not obviously a Richard Lester film, but you know what? He brings he brings his sensibility to it. It feel there's a little knack kind of a thing. Uh, there's a little sort of Beatlesy thing that makes this just kind of uh, a little bit irreverent. Uh, of course, it was written by Melvin Frank and uh, Michael Pertwee, based on the Harold Prince uh, production. Stephen Sondheim did the did the, the songs and the, the music and the the book and the lyrics. I mean, absolutely comedy amazing. tonight. It, it, that's it. That's the famous song. You know, comedy tonight. I mean, it's amazing. It's really it's this wonderful kind of anachronistic uh, musical that just sort of stormed Broadway at the time. Definitely set the stage for things like Spamalot. There would be no Spamalot if there hadn't, hadn't but been But to me, this. this movie was a little bloated in that mad, 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 mad world way. A little tiny bit. It, it, it was 1966. It was the golden age of let's adapt every successful Broadway musical to the stage. I mean, in 19, you know, 1964, I mean, you look, you'd started the decade with West Side Story. And that just blew the lid off of everything. And then next thing you know, you've got Camelot and you've got, you know, My Fair Lady and Sound of Music. And the decade, of course, ended with Oliver. I mean, these things were winning Best Picture like almost every year, every other year. And so this was trying to sort of uh, uh, shoehorn in on that. And, and they, uh, they kind of figured, why not? Let's just go for broke. And uh, for the most part, I think it works. Zero Mostel is hilarious. Uh, Phil Silvers, Buster Keaton, you know, uh, it's just great. Michael Crawford shows up in this thing, a young Michael Crawford. Jack Guilford is always a lot of fun. Uh, I really enjoy this. I really, really thoroughly enjoy this, and I think it's a really rock-solid uh, transfer. It probably could have been better. I don't know. The elements look like they're maybe not in the greatest shape, but I think it's the best thing that we can expect at this point. So, uh, wow, an awful lot of fun to have that. Uh, wait, speaking of Richard Lester, uh, a very underrated and, uh, and one of the original disaster films, Juggernaut. Oh, my gosh. Richard Harris, Omar Sharif. This movie, if you watch this, I'm telling you, you'll be, you'll be impressed. This is uh, from 1974. It is one of the original, you know, this was sort of around the time when, like, all the Irwin Allen disaster films mm-hmm. were coming up. But, I, but before that, there, you know, Juggernaut, which stars Richard Harris and Omar Sharif, Juggernaut is credited with being the first film to have the classic, which you don't really get anymore because now it's a cliche and you can't really do this in movies anymore, is the first film to have the classic red wire, blue wire climax. Was it really? That's the first one? This is, it is credited with being. Really? The first one to have the, should I cut the red wire to defuse the bomb or the blue wire I've to defuse the bomb? Wonder, I've always wondered who started that. Supposedly it was uh, Richard Lester and Juggernaut. And no uh, this film is fun. It's with Anthony Hopkins is in it too. Ian Holm is in it. Uh, it's about a, uh, uh, this 
this guy is threatening to blow up a uh, a, a, a transatlantic uh, ship, and uh, it's great. It's a really it's a it's it's one of those thrillers where you're like, yeah, it's old. How good could it be? There was no CGI. No, no, Juggernaut's cool. That's sweet. Yeah, check it out. Well done. Got a couple of black exploitation classics here, and you know, black exploitation is not all just about cheesy B films. Some of them are rock solid, really good movies. And uh, we got two of them right here. They, there's nothing. There's there's nothing that dates poorly here. There's nothing. You know, not not pimps and like velvet hats and all this stuff that makes you kind of giggle and, and titter and think, oh, how quaint that was back then. These films totally date well. One of them is Cotton Comes to Harlem, which is one of the the the, the Ozzie Davis directed this. Ozzie Davis, who is not known as a director, uh, very, very rarely stepped behind the camera, but this is the one where he absolutely nailed it. This was a Samuel Goldwyn Jr. production for United Artists. All of these, these, uh, most of these titles that are coming out in this, this line from Kino Lorber are UA titles. But uh, Cotton Comes to Harlem is, is really kind of one of those films that sort of reinvented the genre in a really vibrant way. Great performance by Godfrey Cambridge who is one of my all-time favorite comics, but man, he's not, he's not comic here. He is, he is hardcore. And, uh, you know, a little, little bit of funny, but it's still, still really hardcore. Uh, Raymond St. Jacques, who did a lot of these things at the time, is, is, is great as well. Red Fox shows up here. This is really a terrific film. Uh, screenplay was co-written by Ozzie Davis as well, and I highly recommend it. But the one that is oh! gold, man. Yes. Across 110th Street. My favorite. This might be my favorite black exploitation, like movie, like an actual motion picture. It's so good. It's, it's not like so Chef, which is kind of Chef's you know what? cheesy film. This know is what? a good movie. I'm gonna say there there are three movies from the 70s where I, they're, they're cop films. There are only three that have this pace and this mood and this tension. That, that no cop movies have anymore because now they have to be action films. They have to be actual action films. Yeah, there's action in it, but it has mood and pace and tension, and nobody does that anymore. And they don't even do it on television. Across 110th Street, Bullet with Steve McQueen, uh, and The French Connection, those three. And uh, of, of those, I would say Bullet is, uh, in, in order of preference, Bullet would be the lowest. Yeah. 110th Street, which I love, and of yeah. course French Connection. Yeah, I would agree with, the, with that order. Uh, what a fantastic film this love is. It. Love An- it. Anthony Quinn and Yafit Koto. Anthony uh, Quinn, like Anthony Quinn was like, no, he's like a real dude. Yafit Koto. He's Yafet this kind of a movie. Yafit Koto, alien. Give me a break. <laughs> exactly. Yafit Koto, man, 1972. Just kills it. Uh, they really do kill it. And of course, the, the, the title song is legendary. If you don't know the movie, you certainly know the title song because the title song is also the title song from Jackie Brown. Tarantino just literally stole another movie's theme song and tacked it onto one of his. Well, he knew what he was doing. Yeah, of course he knew what he was doing. Of course he knew what he was doing. But uh, honestly, it's just, uh, you know... It just—it's one of the great all-time crime and cop films. Yep, it's love absolutely it. great. Yep. So, uh, just hard-boiled New York from the 1970s, man. And it, you don't even need to understand the significance of 110th Street, the actual geography of 110th Street. It just—it it all comes clean in the movie. And uh, directed by Barry Shear, who just was didn't do anything else. Nope, man. Barry Shear had a nothing career except for this movie. All right, here we go. We're wrapping it up. Uh, Any given Sunday. This is uh, the Oliver Stone uh, football film. Uh, this movie really kind of split critics. I know that uh, I thought, frankly, I think that if this movie came out today, it might be better received. I know at the time it took a lot of crap for being, you know, the, the shaky cam thing and the, the super duper machismo stuff, and which is, you know, football's all about glory and sacrifice and rura and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, but uh, it was a bit ahead of its time, actually. And Pacino actually uh, gives a justifiably blustery performance as the um, football coach. Mm-hmm. And you know what? They really did a great job on the, uh, on the Blu-ray. There's uh, this commentary by Oliver Stone, another commentary by uh, Jamie Foxx, who stars in the film as the quarterback. 
A lot of deleted scenes, music videos, good stuff in it. Any given now, Sunday. Now, now, oddly enough, Mark, now who directed that? Oliver Stone. Well, you know he does not do a commentary on Seizure. Seizure. Wow. Why, why do you think that would be? It was his first film. Because he's not proud of it. Yeah, probably not. This is from Scorpion Releasing. Oliver Stone directed Seizure uh, in 1973, one year after 110, across 110th Street. And uh, this, this has the, an amazing all-star cast. It includes uh, the likes of Jonathan Frid, formerly of uh, Dark Shadows, uh, Mary Warrenov, formerly of lots of really strange B-movies, and Hervé Villachez, of course, of Fantasy Island fame. And... Um, uh, this is a horror film, or allegedly a horror film, uh, with Edmund Blackstone, uh, played by Jonathan Frid, as this kind of Stephen King-type horror writer. And uh, basically everything in his... Well, I, 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 not to give anything away, but let's just say it, it, it's ridiculous. It is a truly ridiculous movie. Um, everything in this just makes absolutely no sense. The whole idea is... Sort of how his subconscious, well, I don't, I'm not even going to get into it. Anyway, it's supposed to be a cult film. It's not. It's kind of silly. Uh, but Oliver Stone took advantage of the opportunity to uh, make a movie. And the rest is history. But my goodness, he's clearly more proud of any given Sunday. And uh, let's, let's wrap this up real fast. Uh, you know what, Mark? Let me, uh, we're going to have to cover that next week. Uh, so. Prom Night Special Edition. Jamie Lee Curtis, Leslie Nielsen. Yes. This is right before Leslie Nielsen became a, a comic classic with a classic actor with Airplane. Um, this is the original Prom Night, uh, which they recently remade. And this is a good-looking transfer. The good folks at Synapse Films did a good job on this. Um, it's about uh, Prom Night. And Jamie Lee Curtis, who was the scream queen of the 80s, uh, is at her scream queen best. And, uh, yeah, it's about uh, a bloody uh, massacre at Hamilton High. Prom Night, the original. And then Pumpkinhead, uh, which was a really stupid movie that um, I never really liked from 1988. And uh, it's about these teenagers, and uh, the, they kill this kid, and then the, the father... Pumpkinhead is just Played nuts. by Lance Henriksen, comes yeah. back and gets revenge. Anyway, this is, this, is the, this is one of the worst of the... It is one of the of worst. Of those 80s, But it somehow, has, it somehow has a cult following, and I swear to you, somebody's going to remake this. Uh, we're going to wrap things up the same way we started them, with Godzilla. Uh, except this is Godzilla stuff you could probably avoid. Uh, these are from the Toho Godzilla collection, and they, is, these are some of the weakest of any of them. i, I got to be honest, there are some great Godzilla movies, but these are just really weak. One is a double feature of uh, Godzilla, Mothra, and King Ghidorah in Giant Monsters All-Out Attack. And uh, that's along with Godzilla against Mecha Godzilla, the big like robot Godzilla. Both of these are just ridiculous. One is kind of like the Avengers of monster movies. Uh, then we also have Godzilla 2000, which was a, um, a Japanese attempt at resurrecting Godzilla Japanese style after the previous Hollywood uh, attempt failed. And this one made some money in Japan, but nobody went to see it here because it was it was bad. It was just a throwback to like cheesy Godzilla, which nobody wants to see anymore. This has both the U.S. and the Japanese versions on it, as, long, as well as a, an ultraviolet copy. All of these have ultraviolet on them. And then the last one is uh, Rebirth of uh, Mothra. This is, uh, it, it's a triple feature. It's, uh, you know, it, it, it's, just, it's just ridiculous. Mothra 1, 2, and 3. And, uh, or the Rebirth of Mothra 1, Rebirth of Mothra 2, Rebirth of Mothra 3. Um, utterly silly. Mothra is truly one of the worst of the monsters. I, I, I can enjoy a good Mothra film, but it's a freaking giant moth. It's a giant freaking moth. It's not a, it's not a reptile. Like when I see a lizard, I, I look at a lizard, I go, if that thing were big, that'd be, that'd be creepy. If I see a turtle, I go, if that thing were big and could fly, 
it'd probably be creepy. If I look at a moth and I go, if that thing were big, I'd still squash it. Moths are not scary. Mothra, lame. Go rent, so, rain, a, go, go rent rain of Fire instead. Rain of Fire, for sure. All right. Uh, with that, gosh, yeah, no, we, we don't have one of those. But uh, was hoping to get some listener mail. Did not have time. We ran out of time. Sorry to all of our listeners who've sent some mail in. We'll get to you next week.